0: been so lonesome chasing that morning chill oh little red bird open your mouth and say been so lonesome i just about flown away so long now i've been out in the rain and snow but winter's come
1: and gone
0: Hello and welcome to the How I Healed podcast. I am joined today by my co-host, Mary Lou Singleton, who is a family nurse practitioner, herbalist, and apprentice-trained home birth midwife. She has been caring for the health of New Mexican families for over 25 years. Mary Lou believes all healthcare modalities, from allopathic medicine to energy work and everything in between, have healing potential. That healing is always an individual journey to be supported by community and that when it comes to healing, effectiveness is the measure of the truth. She is a critic of the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream medical industry, which promotes drug dependence and chronic disease maintenance rather than healing. She believes healing is always possible and co-created the How I Healed podcast to share stories of healing, hope, and recovery.
1: Thanks, Jocelyn. I'm Mary Lou, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jocelyn McDonald, who is an artist and storyteller. She is enlivened by the infinite potential of humans to heal and helps others walk this path through her art and music. Her healing practice focuses on making and finding meaning out of the crises and major choice points of our lives. She offers one-on-one support through coaching and archetypical astrology and tarot. She specializes in assisting with psychedelic integration and pharmaceutical cessation. On this episode of How I Healed, I will be interviewing my good friend and co-host, Jocelyn McDonald, who'll be sharing with us her story of how she healed from rheumatoid arthritis and a host of other physical and mental illness conditions. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Mary Lou. So good to be doing this with you. I'm really excited. Uh,
0: It's the answer to so many prayers. I've been wanting to find a way to get this information out to people that it is possible to heal from the uh, from the condition of being addicted to going to the doctor and getting medicated for your life. <laughs> I think that's really what it comes down to. I want to encourage people to just believe that healing is possible, that t- to be healthy does not require constant intervention as much as it requires a commitment to self- uh t- to self-expression and self-care.
1: Wonderful. Can you tell us about about your story? When were you diagnosed with with autoimmune arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis and what what was that like and how did you heal?
0: Yeah, so it all began um, coincidentally at the beginning of my Saturn return period. So I was entering the shadow of my Saturn return around age 27. Gosh, it's so, it's so difficult to pinpoint. Okay. So I had started to feel pain in my body. Um, that was very unfamiliar to me about maybe two or three days after I had gotten a hormonal IUD installed. Which was, by the way, the most painful experience of my life up to that point, and um, you know, I blamed my symptoms on air travel. I had gone, I you know, you get swollen joints when you we, you do you do planes and stuff, um, but the pain persisted. Um, not to mention all the pain that was in my uterus from this foreign object that was, you know. <laughs> not supposed to be there. The entire point of which getting installed was to heal from the endometriosis I had been diagnosed with. So, you know, the, the the logic was end your period and you'll end your endometriosis. This also took place about 4 months after I had had my tonsils removed. So, there was, you know, it was like a period of 25 years where I never had really any medical intervention. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I got health insurance, things started to go wrong with me, starting with my, um, tonsils, uh, needing to be taken out because I was told, you know, you, you get strep throat too often. Um, and that was when I was 27. And then it was when I was 28 that I got this IUD installed and, uh, pretty much immediately started to have rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. So I Sorry go Can ahead. Can I just
1: ask a question? Were you yes. miserable with um with your tonsils like be, ha, had you yourself had the idea you thought you needed to have your oh, tonsils removed? Oh god no. Removed? No, I didn't even know because
0: I had never had access to health insurance as a child. I didn't know that it was not okay to get strep throat once a year. And I don't know that that is okay. I think that some of us definitely are more predisposed towards certain types of disease expression than others. And for me, it has often been related to my throat, my throat chakra. And as an astrologist, I now put that in the context of my Mars is in Taurus. Taurus rules the throat. Mars Mars influences certain types of um, disease expression that we get. And so, you know, it was not... Um, it was not uncommon for me to have throat issues, whether it was strep throat or different um, coughs and and voice issues as a child. And when I got access to insurance um, and I went in for, you know, uh, to get antibiotics, they were very concerned that the tonsils were the way that the, the the strep throat was expressing itself, and I had had a, an abscess in my tonsil, mm-hmm. um, which I can't. Uh, yeah, I think that was before they suggested getting the tonsillectomy. Was the, the abscess preceded that? But I was, you know, one of 0.03 percent of side effects after I had my tonsillectomy. I had a huge complication and had to have a second surgery where, like, they cauterized the inside of my throat on Thanksgiving day oh, wow. <laughs> when I was 27, and so. Um, so it was very dramatic in the, um, kind of lead up to the surgery where they were really encouraging me, like, you really shouldn't have tonsils anymore. Tonsils are completely unnecessary. You don't want to have them because they are the cause of your endless cases of strep throat. And that to me now sounds absolutely psychotic because the tonsils do not cause strep throat. Um, that's just not true. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> and right. to have um, major surgery like twice, um, to have my tonsils and adenoids removed as an adult, which is uh, uh, unbelievably painful, by the way, mm. um, but not as painful as getting an IUD.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Well, you get anesthesia for major surgery Yeah, you're just supposed to lie back and take it with an IUD insertion hmm
0: Yes. And so the, the tonsils are a big part of your lymph system and an important part of your immune system. So when when the doctors were encouraging me to believe that they're vestigial organs, I really took that on faith. And now that it's already happened and they're already gone, I've done a fair amount of research into the correlation between having your tonsils removed and developing autoimmune disor- disorders also done a lot of research on the development of autoimmunity after getting a hormonal iud because silicone toxicity the, the iud is made of silicone and also the um you know these synthetic hormones disrupt your natural hormone cycles and they can really influence this this idea that when doctors describe autoimmunity as your body attacking itself
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's a process that can be triggered by the presence of synthetic hormones and the the estrogenic effect of silicone in your body so th- those were not the only things that i was dealing with i was also dealing with you know over a decade of vegetarianism a lifetime of of like religious cult programming low self esteem multiple instances of sexual violence in early life that really really did not give me a good sense of my boundaries and a my own bodily integrity like didn't have a good relationship with my own bodily integrity because of these experiences and so there were a lot of spiritual components and a lot of medical components that might have led me to developing an autoimmune disorder or five but when i tested for the disease and they you know they do these tests where they they're testing for something called rheumatoid factor And um, the presence of C-reactive protein in your blood, which is like a state of heightened autoimmunity, a state of heightened immunity. Like it's basically a type of immune cell. And so if you have more of these immune cells, it's it's saying that your body's immune system is working harder than the average person's immune system. That isn't an indicator of disease um, when you actually break it down. Like these are not, you know, testing positive for these things, is it's not fair to say that 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 is um a hard and fast indicator of autoimmunity and and doctors will also make that <laughs> like really obscured when you read the pockets for the medications for these diseases because it wasn't just rheumatoid arthritis i was also diagnosed with Sjogren's syndrome um i told you i had endometriosis i had psoriasis like autoimmune psoriasis and um I don't know. I think there was a couple other obscure ones that I don't even remember, but you know, in the packets for these medications it will say doctors do not understand the cause of rheumatoid arthritis and they do not know why this medication works to treat it, but they do know that it is an effective treatment for the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. That's something that I read in the packet for my methotrexate, which is the first mm-hmm. drug that all everybody who has rheumatoid arthritis gets put on methotrexate, which is a um, is also used as a cancer treatment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plaquenil, which is used as an anti-malarial, and it that's it, it, a crazy drug. Several other disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs that I was given, which are essentially usually pills like Plaquenil and, and methotrexate, and then they upgrade you when those don't work, and they never work right. because. <laughs> for for many reasons, most of the time that they don't work, then you get upgraded to biologics. These are like anti-tumor necrosis factor drugs that include stuff like Enbrel or Humira. And, you know, Mary Lou, as a actual medical professional, I'm sure you can speak to this to a far greater extent, but the purpose of these drugs, which you inject into your body every two weeks or every month, depending on what the drug is, is to suppress your entire immune system. And so I began with, you know, the experience in my body of joint pain upon waking or going to bed. I had a lot of stiffness and it just got worse to like actually being able to see the inflammation in the small joints of my hands and toes. And then I suddenly found myself like having a a great deal of difficulty tying my shoes and, um, you know, doing my own dishes without dropping the dishes and breaking them. It got to a point where the pain was so unbear- unbearable, I was considering self harm. And, you know, that's a whole nother story. But I had a, a long history of self harm. When I like because in my early life, my, <laughs> my main health concern was was mental health was depression and anxiety. And so When I started to think about harming myself, I called the doctors and I was like, I demand to be seen. And they had told me, you know, it's like a six month wait period to see a rheumatologist, even though you've been diagnosed as having a severe um, or severely high or high, like high level of of C-reactive protein and rheumatoid factor in your blood. Um, and so I, I was like, I'm actually gonna, I'm I'm gonna kill myself if you don't see me, um, which is hilarious now because I know <laughs> this is such a manipulation tactic that people use. But I was desperate. I was really on, I was really on the edge. And so, you know, they brought me in and had full body imaging, and they shot. Cortisol into all of my joints Which permanently damaged all the joints That got the cortisol My skin turned deathly white My muscles atrophied I could see through my skin Anywhere that the injection had taken place I tried all these drugs that were truly mental Like the methotrexate would cause Such severe diarrhea That I couldn't leave the house I'm sorry to say this It's graphic But I I could never leave the house Unless I knew how many bathrooms there would be At the place that I was going and how easily accessible they would be to me. I couldn't keep food down. Um, no one mentioned to me that I should probably stop being a vegan and vegetarian. That part of my, you know, part of my side effects from the medication was had to do with like lack of nutrients. You can't be shitting your brains out every day and only eating tofu and get by. None of the DMARDs worked they put me on multiples of them. I got on Plaquenil, which is a drug that will cause your retina to separate from your eye. So you have to get monitored every six months for eye exams to make sure your retinas are not detaching and you're going permanently blind. I was put on a drug that I don't even remember the name of it, but they told me that you know they 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 made sure that i wasn't sexually active with the possibility of getting pregnant i told my doctor that i was a lesbian it was nothing to worry about she never mentioned to me that the drug that i was taking would cause a baby to be born without a brain or a spinal cord Which, like, I wasn't trying to get pregnant, so that was immaterial. I couldn't have gotten pregnant, so that was immaterial. But just knowing that there's a drug that exists that would cause a fetus to develop without a spinal cord and brain connection or a functioning brain scared the living shit out of me two years later after I'd been on this drug for two years and found out, like, that's what they were
1: giving me. Most likely the methotrexate that blocks folic acid, which is necessary Mm -hmm. for central nervous system development. But what they're not mentioning is what is it doing to you and, yeah. and your central nervous system, which right. is also dependent on folic <laughs> acid and folate. It's yeah that and and from what I've mm-hmm. seen, like you're saying, methotrexate never actually get gives people a good response when they have oh, these no. horrible conditions. Right. It, it's just a step that the insurance companies require to get to yes. the expensive medications
0: to the expensive medications, mm-hmm. and that's where the real treatment actually is. And So I eventually got on Enbrel and I experienced complete remission of my symptoms. I had no idea what Enbrel was made of or what was in it, or, you know, it has to be refrigerated and you take it every couple of weeks, you inject it into your fatty tissue. And so I had this really, you know, I had this great and intense grief when it occurred to me that because of the medications that would keep me healthy, I could never travel to say a country where I would have to take multiple buses and end up in a hostel in the jungle where they didn't have a refrigerator. You know what I'm saying? Like, there mm-hmm. was a grief for me in knowing that I would always have to have a corporate job that would allow me to stay insured in such a way that I could afford these drugs, which were, you know, multiple thousands of dollars per dose. The worst part about being on Enbrel was that it, did suppress my immune system. I'm not sure now where I stand on immune systems or germ theory or how disease really passes from one person to another if it does. But I do know that at the time I still carried the belief that disease is contagious and, you know, spreads virally or through the air. And so I was getting sick at least once a month. I'm talking like reliably getting flus and colds if somebody looked at me funny meeting my baby nieces and discovering that like when other people would be around babies they get you know they get they get sickness all the time because babies get sick all the time Mm -hmm. I would actually be like knocked the fuck out I would be flattened when I was around my sister's kids and they got me sick and so it was just like huh I am really setting myself up to be locked into this cycle of getting really sick and being completely useless in in life, like being disabled um, by these medications, or I get off the medications and I'm so disabled I can't do my own dishes or tie my own shoes. And that really concerns me, you know, like that really makes me think like at that time I was, you know, 29, 30 I have no life. I'm not like other people. I'm not like other women my age. I'm not able bodied. I'm I'm a mess. you know, I can't I don't I can't have hopes and dreams anymore beyond staying healthy because that has to be my baseline hope and dream. not travel the world or um, you know, become a famous novelist or whatever the fuck was my current
1: dream at that time.
0: It had to be just stay stay healthy and uh, try to stay functional.
1: Were you experiencing uh, relief from the joint pain, the dry eyes, the other, like the, the rheumatological symptoms you were having when you took the emerald?
0: When I did take the embryo, I, I did have relief. Oh my gosh. I forgot to tell you, they, they got me on these $600 eye drops for the Sjogren's syndrome. Mm-hmm.
1: Can, you can you even imagine? <laughs> so for people who are listening who might not know what Sjogren's is, um, do you want to describe that? Oh yes.
0: What? Thank you. It It is um
1: when now I
0: want I put I'm putting in square scare quotes when your body attacks its own mucous membrane so you can't produce tears or saliva or if you're a woman you know your vagina would be dry
1: um basically yeah the um the eye drops oh go ahead and also the synovial fluid in the joints as well right it's sort of oh, attacking yeah. all the fluid producing cells mm-hmm. yeah okay so that's that's the um the medical understanding of that symptom set
0: Yes, exactly. And so they had me on these weird mouth rinses and Mm. these $600 eye drops. And it was also just hilarious to me because, you know, if somebody bills you for $600 eye drops before they bill you for the $12,000 injection, then you have to pay the $600 eye drops because you have to meet your $5,000 deductible. But if they bill you for the $12,000 injection first, then you get, you know, the, the company has some kind of um, payment deal where you get a special card and then they meet your deductible. And then everything else that year is free. So I would have these crazy arguments with the insurance providers on the phone, being like, "They, they put the eye drops in first. Like,
1: fuck you! I'm not paying for these eye drops. Like, I can't, I, I can't afford this shit. You know, like, right, right. Very few people would be." Getting access to these medications if it weren't for the the insurance. Absolutely. System, right? right. Absolutely. Because yeah. Were you getting $600 a month relief from those eye drops and those mouth rinses? Or do you feel like uh, just oh, like a Visine or, or eye drops from Walgreens would have given you about the same degree of relief? I mean, I think that is that introduces for me
0: another question, which is like, is it fun to be an addict to dry for, to, to eye drops? And the answer for uh, me is like, no, I don't want to take eye drops every day. And because I thought that my my body was attacking my tear ducts and my tear ducts would be permanently damaged if I didn't take these eye drops, of course I was getting $600 worth of benefit from them. Because without them, I'll, you know, never cry again. i right. <laughs> have like gingivitis from my dry mouth or whatever. Um, but I haven't taken them in over 10 years and I cry. I, I cry a lot. Like mm. I cry all the time. <laughs> Um And I think honestly, like, uh, I was a pothead, like I always had dry mouth. And now mm-hmm. that I don't smoke weed every day, I don't get dry mouth, you know, oh, isn't that
1: amazing? It's, it's amazing. Right? Yeah, the, the, the weed didn't heal your rheumatoid arthritis before the vegan diet and the marijuana did not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The combination of...
0: (laughs) Interesting. Yes, interesting. you believe it? Oh my gosh, I would would drink CBD oil by the Mm -hmm. bottle and it would just not even touch me. And I'm not like uh, anti-medical cannabis because it has been helpful for pain symptoms, Mm -hmm. but you would have to be high all the time. You would have to be like, you know, that like Rick Simpson oil that they give to cancer patients. Mm -hmm. You would have to be like flattened for the... Um, for the pain of, I, I would describe my pain when I had rheumatoid arthritis symptoms as as my body feels like a balloon and my joints feel like shattered glass. So mm. it's like a, a, a like a balloon full of shattered glass that's just like rubbing together all the little glassy bits just breaking apart and, yeah, threatening to burst through this little balloon. Like that's the experience in, in my fingers and toes when I had, the worst of my symptoms, and um, oh, that's terrible. so yeah, I definitely wanted to be high all the time, but it did not help. It did not make the pain go away.
1: But the emerald did, to a emerald certain did. degree. Oh right? yeah,
0: it flattened it. It okay, was like so I, I was got, It was I was a different person.
1: How long did that relief last? Did it cure you? Did uh, did you eventually, um, reach a point where it wasn't ha- helping anymore?
0: Yeah, I think I was on Enbrel for two years and I started to get really concerned right away Mm
1: -hmm. by how often I
0: was getting sick. And Mm -hmm. so I would, you know, I was taking the Enbrel like described every month or I can't yeah, Humira is two weeks and Enbrel is one month. I think that's how it Mm -hmm. works. So I would take it one month and then I would say, you know, I wonder if I can get by with like five weeks or seven weeks or 10 weeks, you know, I would just Mm -hmm. keep spreading out between doses until eventually I was like, I think I can get by without taking these injections. So why don't I just continue with acupuncture and medical marijuana and maintaining a positive attitude and see how far I can get with. The, um not actually injecting the umbrella. And I would stockpile it. I would have the umbrella in mm-hmm. the refrigerator, continue to receive it, but not take it. Part of that was that I I my biggest fear in life has always been getting fired um mm-hmm. and being impoverished by that and then becoming homeless. And uh that's like my yeah, that's like my big wound in life is my fear of being Whore. So I was so afraid of getting fired that that was the other reason I couldn't take the umbrella. I had to have at least a six-month supply so that should I get fired for my corporate job, I would have plenty of time to find another corporate job so wow. that I could keep the supply of drugs. So at a certain point, I left Seattle and moved to D.C. And the, the symptoms came back really, really badly after, let's say, maybe six months of Doing what I was doing of like really spreading out the doses to maybe even getting like two to three months in between injections, and they put me back on DMARDs. It wasn't methotrexate again; it was the one that um makes your fetus board a monster. And uh, although apparently methotrexate is that too, um, so I got onto Humira, and again, it was immediate relief. It was just shocking to me. I went from one day you know being being disabled like couldn't sleep through the night without waking up 15 times anytime I had to get up it would I would be so stiff that I was hobbling to the bathroom I stopped wearing shoes with laces a really long time ago um just yeah just a completely unable to live life but kind of faking my way through it and I got on Humira and I was out dancing the next night
1: and that like, quickly you had a response that quickly oh yeah well, it was
0: like the next night was New Year's Eve and I stayed out until 2 a.m. dancing.
1: Well, I'm just seeing the Humera ad across my television. Yeah. There's Jocelyn dancing. Ask your doctor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you 30 and love dancing? Get Humira. Yes. All right. Right. Okay. So you had a good response to that. And then um, what was your process on Humera? Um, yeah well as I was
0: you know I'm on Humira and I'm every time the insurance billing has to take Mm. place the the difficulty in getting the reimbursement was it it was always a nightmare I would have to call the insurance company they would say oh well we cannot pay for your Humira because your doctor has to pre-authorize it and I'm like but they prescribed it isn't that a Pre authorization, right. and they're like, no, we need more paper. Essentially, like the way your doctor does- prescribed it is incorrect. So you know you need to go back to the specialist, which is going to be another six hundred dollar visit, and get these done right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's just like constant negotiation with insurance companies, drug manufacturing companies. abv in this case, is the co- is the company that provides um, insurance support, so they pay your copay. And then you only pay five dollars for every injection instead of ten thousand. So I really didn't like that. I really didn't like being surveilled. I didn't like that I had to go to the doctor every three months and get full body x-rays and blood work. Mm. I really did not like the, you know, the waiting rooms and the process of being on the phone with all these nutcase people that like did not give a shit if I lived or died and they just are like looking to get their money from me um, or from my insurance provider, it doesn't matter which. What really, sh- and so and so, I had this, you know, big self esteem issue, especially when I would look at the the insurance building billing, because it occurred to me, like, okay, if I if I just look at the meds that I'm on for arthritis, I'm not even talking about the the $600 eye drops, the blood work every three months, the full body X rays every six months, the specialist visits to dermatologists, rheumatologists, um, the gynecologist the ophthalmologist, all the different specialists that I was going to. We don't even need to look at their their labor costs, just the medications. They had billed to my insurance company by 2019 $111,000. And so it occurred to me like, oh, I'm worth more dead than alive. Because even with a corporate job, I make a little bit over $60,000. So like there's a huge deficit here where my labor does not m- amount to um how much how much work it takes for other people to keep me alive. And so that really hurt my self-esteem and it, like I said it really made me feel unfree. It made me feel unfree because I, you know, I, I couldn't travel and not that I even travel that much, but if I wanted to, you know, what if I wanted to, <laughs> what if I got mm-hmm. a wild hair and a, you know, influx of money and I just wanted to go to Patagonia. So what really shifted everything was when the pandemic began. And, you know, I was told that I was exceptionally high risk and for me to go outside and exposed myself to this deadly virus that no one understood how it spreads and, and uh, how quickly it was killing people, that I was exposing myself to certain death. And, you know, as a, at that point, what was I 32 or something? I just thought like, no, this isn't, this isn't making sense. Like, I don't want this experience. I don't want to be I don't want to be high risk. I don't want to be treated like an elderly person that needs to be institutionalized because I'm, you know, because breathing air is too dangerous for me. And so that really got me thinking, there has to be a way for me to get off these drugs. Um, I had also really, really deeply considered during the pandemic quitting my job and walking the Appalachian Trail. And a big part of me healing on my healing journey throughout having arthritis, regardless of what medications I was taking, was pursuing things that made me feel good about my joints and building my self-esteem around what capabilities my body does have. And so in 2018, what that looked like for me was beginning to play the banjo and mm-hmm. learning to use those fine motor skills in my hands. I also started rock climbing, so I was using my fingers to, to, you know, lift my entire body weight up a sheer rock face, and so I had started to develop much more confidence that my body is not disabled, that, that I am vital, and that, like, a vital life force flows through me, and that I'm capable of healing, so even though I was still on those crazy drugs, I had started to challenge the belief that I was disabled. And so when COVID started to unfold, and we were told that, you know, high risk people were certainly going to die. I just thought, well, I don't want to be high risk anymore, because the Mm -hmm. only thing that makes me high risk is my chemically suppressed immune system. So I just have to find a way to not be arthritic anymore. And and a, and a, and a, and also i have to find a way to not be around people and um since people are the are the danger here and that's what got me on the the kick of oh i want to hike the appalachian trail the appalachian trail does not come with refrigerators so if you want to take an injectable medication you're going to have to you know ship it to different hostels and have them keep it in their little refrigerators and as i tried to think about the logistics of what it would mean to be a person of arthritis and hike from georgia to maine it just landed like it's not i'm not a capricorn okay like i can't plan <laughs> like that like i i don't i don't have the skill to plan out meticulously where i'm going to be every two weeks so that i can inject myself with this shit so that was another reason that i was like really convinced i had to get off the drugs and then at another point in the pandemic you know um supply chains started to fail and At that time, I was working in my day job. I was working in marketing for the automotive industry. So, you know, a lot of people who know me as an artist and a writer have no idea what my day job was. And it was it was in selling cars. So Mm. when cars couldn't be sold anymore because computer chips could not be ordered because the entire world was shut down. They started laying off people in the auto industry left, right, and center. And so I was, again, confronted with my my worst fear of my life, which has always been, you know, you're going to be homeless, you're going to be unemployed, and you, no one is going to be able to support you. You're certainly not going to be able to support yourself. So you better start stockpiling again. And you better start looking at, a, at an industry where you can't get fired. You know, your job is not in the hands of, like, global market forces, because it really looks like the end of the world is nigh whether it's COVID or global climate change or whatever it is, like the car industry is not the security and safety net that it once was. So it's time to look again and uh, cast a wider net. And so you know, it was around that time I started stockpiling medications again, and I quit my job and went to woodworking school to become a furniture designer and builder. I started to stretch out my injections again, longer and longer. Am I am I like rambling? Am I answering your question, or is that no, okay?
1: It's all fascinating. It's always good to hear someone's healing okay. story. Okay. I do have a couple of questions. Okay, um, yeah, go ahead. One is just just to get the timeline straight. At this yes. point, um. Well, I know that you're, you're very critical of hormonal birth control. When did that come into your your consciousness (sighs) and when did you have your IUD removed? Mm, Okay. So I got my first
0: introduction to hormonal birth control, I think in high school, they had me on it because of my acne and my endometriosis. And I don't think that I have endometriosis, but they never, um, they couldn't possibly like take the effort to diagnose because it's basically just like oh you have unbearable period cramps and you shit and vomit every time you have a period and it, and it makes you like lose time at school that's endometriosis we don't need to like confirm it in any other way so birth control will make your period go away and you'll be fine again and then I went to college and got the Nuva ring and I experienced in college um really strong symptoms of depression I think that were largely, re- I mean, I I had symptoms of depression before hormonal birth control, but my symptoms definitely intensified on birth control. And I became very disconnected from my sense of desire or like Eros at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when I was on the Nuva Ring, I was having sex with people to whom I knew I wasn't really attracted and, and to whom I didn't like experience any real pleasure, but it was like college. And when you're in college, you have sex. So like, you know, I, I was a good Christian girl my whole life. Like, I need to make up for lost time. Like, I have to I have to like explore my sexuality in scare quotes, Um, like all the rest of these people. You know, mm-hmm. like come out as bisexual, fuck everybody I can.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I did. <laughs> it's empowering, right? That's yeah, what we're told
0: empowering. Yeah,
1: totally suppress your fertility, turn off your actual libido and desire that is absolutely connected to your hormonal cycle, which we're gonna turn off, and then um. Yeah, and be sexually accessible to men and women, right? Yeah,
0: and it and so, you know, in that sexual accessibility, I had even more instances of sexual violence, which mm-hmm. continued to allow me to, to encourage me to disassociate my brain from my body and my experience of eros. So I ended up having like a ton more rape and sexual assault Mm. experiences because I was completely dissociated and had no boundaries and was, you know, letting myself, truly letting myself be taken advantage of. By the time I had gotten a hormonal IUD, there wasn't, I wasn't even having sex with men anymore. I was out as a lesbian and completely, you know, it was just, it was just to treat this quote unquote endometriosis and this, and these experiences of really bad, cramps I had already been critical of the of the hormonal birth control because I associated it with depression and with with having sexual experiences that were deeply unsatisfying and in fact like obviously self-harm no different than my cutting addiction from when I was in high school and so the uh, the the IUD was in for less than five months I was calling the nurse on a weekly basis being like should I have collapsed in my kitchen because the pain of my IUD is so excruciating? I'm not even bleeding right now. I'm not even on my period and I'm having cramps so bad that I collapsed. Is that normal? Mm. And the nurse is like, well, you know, the doctor should have told you this, but it takes a lot of people at least six months to adjust to having an IUD, but then your period will stop and all this will go away. I mean, that's what they kept promising me was that like in a few more months, your period will stop and you'll be okay. It didn't occur to me at that time that your period shouldn't stop because your period is a sign of your health and vitality if you're female. And it's a really crucial part of, like, the experience of of living. It's beautiful. it's, It's enjoyable if you're not in pain. It's actually, like this you know this this opportunity to explore beyond the veil the veil is so thin it's so accessible for you to like get into a theta state and be a you know a fucking witch and a fairy in the woods when you're bleeding like I didn't know that you should like having your cycle whether you're ovulating luteal or menstruating I wasn't ready to say that I was still in a in a place of like really fighting my body and being in resistance to the natural cycle of mm-hmm. being a female human
1: so you had this iud removed at some point oh um, yeah almost right away mainly because of the side effects of the iud not can not yet connecting it to the development of the autoimmune process or, or what no. was being okay
0: no, it was uh, it was removed because it was causing me so much pain, but it mm-hmm. was definitely very early on in my RA journey that I got deep down rabbit holes on internet forums of women talking about rheumatoid arthritis. You know, 74% of patients who have autoimmune disease are female. Mm-hmm. And so these forums where people are talking about their autoimmune disease and they're talking about what triggered it, what they think triggered it. So many women talked about uh, getting silicone breast implants yes. and then immediately getting our RA. And so, you know, they would talk about silicone toxicity and the hormonal IUD is a silicone little thingy-majiggy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not a very big thingy-majiggy. It's, uh, you know, maybe an inch of silicone. And so I was like, huh, could that give you silicone toxicity? And then went further down the rabbit hole of the connection between IUDs hormonal synthetic hormones um Mm -hmm. whether it's iud's or pills and ra and so many women talked about having been on hormonal birth control for you know decades and then developing not just ra but other like full body system shutdown diseases you know because it's um it turns out all
1: connected it (laughs) is all connected (laughs) connective tissue disorders. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So at some point you had a real paradigm shift. That, oh God. Yeah. Okay. So it was, and it sounds like that was gradual. You were understanding you didn't want to be dependent on big pharma. You, you have this, you know, this core fear of poverty that, that was leading yes. you to stockpile meds. Those two things were yes. causing you to not use the medications as as directed to, to Mm -hmm. spread out your doses and then COVID happens and you're realizing you, you're more vulnerable to, to everything because you're suppressing your body's defense system. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened then? Because I know you you had a major paradigm a major shift. major paradigm shift, right. Well, that
0: the seeds for that started way earlier. I would say in early early childhood because I grew up in a religious cult. I grew up in um a cult and then and then when we left the cult we joined evangelical christianity where we did faith healing, laying hands on each other. I laid hands on other little kids and healed them of tummy aches and all sorts of things. So, I had a belief that faith could heal and that you know if you want to take jesus out of it and just look at it as mindset could heal from a very early age and so you know when i got to college and decided i was an atheist and a communist i rejected god and jesus and and uh Threw all of those beliefs out the window and decided they were unscientific. But, you know, I'm a Pisces rising. And uh, that's just, that's just not it. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. not it for me. Like, there was a deep spirituality that was waiting to be witnessed in myself and waiting to be accepted and integrated. And so... You know, I wouldn't tell other people that I was secretly a mystic and secretly thinking, you know, there's got to be a spiritual reason that I have arthritis in the first place. And therefore, there has to be a spiritual way to cure it. And it wasn't just with the arthritis, it was also with the depression and just all of these, um, all of these, identi- like these illnesses that I identified with. So in probably, yeah, 2018, I did ayahuasca for the first time. In order to do ayahuasca, I had to get all of of my psych meds out of my system because that can cause serotonin poisoning and kill you. Mm -hmm. So I had to get off all my antidepressants. And um, so in order to do that, I had to, you know, really stop believing in myself as a depressed person. I had to really interrogate this idea that I'm a person of depression and that like, Depressive waves are inevitable due to a chemical imbalance in my brain rather than Mm. the conditions of my life and how I respond to them. Mm. So that was the first, you know, the first realization when I got off those antidepressants and I
1: did a bunch of psychedelics. What were you taking and for how long in terms of psychiatric medication? I was taking Axel, Seroquel, Symbalta,
0: not all at the same time, but over. Time I had taken all of these, and some of them I had taken at the same time. Um, and then I got I got on to lamictal, which mm-hmm. is an anti-seizure medication that's used to treat bipolar disorder. Seroquil is an antipsychotic that's used for people with major depression and psychotic episodes. In addition to a sleep um, mm-hmm. aid, I have had insomnia bouts since I was as as early as I can remember. I mean, I remember as soon as I started sleeping alone, I remember ha- having to go back and ask my mom, you know, to help me pray over me and and uh, get God to help me to sleep because I would really stay up all night. I was addicted to Ambien at one point, addicted to Lunesta at another point, all while taking, you know, Lamictal, Cymbalta, um, Welbutrin, and um, Paxil. Mm-hmm. and Seroquel at different times you know when i i had a i i tried to kill myself in college and and so i was di- I, I i i was given a handful of psych meds to mm-hmm. keep me basically from feeling anything I, I was on lithium at one point yeah so basically just anything to numb the emotions and just like completely
1: mm-hmm. disassociate myself i i was prescribed it and took it at different okay. times well so you were taking some cocktail of these medications, yes. Something drove you to want to try ayahuasca. Was that, yes, a, a desire for what healing? What drove
0: me to I take to want to take ayahuasca was, um, probably having you know been a stoner for 10 years <laughs> and uh, taking San Pedro and acid and mushrooms and loving getting high and. You know, I, I definitely think that ayahuasca called me. I think that she whispered to me over the years, for at least five years, I would hear mentions of this shamanic experience that I really craved. But like, I was in my late 20s, early 30s, like, I wanted to get fucked up. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So yeah, um, I had no idea how spiritually enlightening the experience of doing ayahuasca would be. I I thought I did. But I was not prepared for the way that it it took several years for the downloads of my first ayahuasca journey to be fully absorbed into my somatic experience. And they have since then, you know, further shamanic experiences have also dictated a lot of these changes. I, I really think that like psychedelics have been incredibly expansive for me in releasing a lot of these beliefs about who I am and how diseased I am and how I carry disability or brokenness because of the family I was born into, the cult that I was born into, the poverty that I was born into. You know, these these beliefs, these limiting right these limiting beliefs that we're addicted to believing because they mm. form our ego. Absolutely. Ego death has has that effect on you. It 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 yeah. kills these these um these addictive beliefs that like I am this thing that I've said I am.
1: Well, and these addictive beliefs are are being relentlessly marketed to us as well from from all sides which yes. I may I'm not even sure what all sides means anymore but definitely the medical industry, the social justice Wokeness industry, whatever we want to call that arm of of definitely, you know, that pretends not to be the ruling class, but is right. Like these ideas of you have ancestral trauma, you are a traumatized person, you have no resilience, you have complex PTSD, you're yeah, all of it, and and because of that, you need drugs you're never going to get better. Right. 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 None none of it's healable. So absolutely. So that paradigm of illness was shattered for you for, or at least started to unravel. It started to
0: unravel. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely remember that one of the things that I really wanted to get out of my ayahuasca experience was an answer as to why I have RA, you know, how Mm -hmm. did this start? Where did it come from? Like, did I inherit it from the, from the many experiences of bodily violation, is it because of something in my family lineage, perhaps past lives? I know how insane that sounds, but I was such a healthy, happy, functional child, despite all the you know constraints of my family constellation. I was a he- I was a healthy child. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't go to the doctor. We couldn't afford to go to the doctor, but we didn't need to for the most part. Go to the doctor. And all of a sudden I was, you know, freaking disabled and not even 30. So it had to be interrogated, you know, like, where did this come from? And uh, I did not get that answer in my first ayahuasca journey. I did not get anything related to my arthritis come through in my first ayahuasca journey. I got a lot of healing toward my relationship with my mother, though. Hmm. So that was really cool. Got a lot nice. of forgiveness from my beloved mother. Um, and I never went back on psych meds after that. And,, um, as I progressed in my spiritual journey, you know, I, I did so like, I didn't do ayahuasca a ton of times. I did. It, I did it like once in 2018, and then in the middle of COVID, I did it again. I actually went out to visit you, Mary Lou, and mm-hmm. we had our fun Mexico experience um, right after I had just done another journey in Arizona with my shamanist, my ayahuascara. And, um, during that time, again, I was asking, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I live? Like, how do I change my life so that I'm not basically a drug addict, not, not a drug mm-hmm. addict, like a meth head, but totally addicted to these injections. Like I, if I get off of them, I have arthritis again. How do I mm-hmm. stop living this way? And that's not, again, that's not the message that came through. Instead, what came through was all these messages about, um, the way I spend my life force energy. You know, I was looking at my career and I was, thinking about music and how how much I loved playing the banjo and you know what why do I why 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 do I why do I get to play the banjo as a 30 year old it's too late for me to ever be Joni Mitchell you know like it's Mm -hmm. it's over for me I'm never going to be a musician and all these you know messages that, that came through were about me learning to make instruments and to give other people the gift of music because music fosters courage. It distracts us from our fear. And in COVID, the biggest thing I saw everywhere I looked was other people's fear was ruining their lives and ruining everyone else's lives too and so you know ayahuasca at that time gave me this very clear vision of her rewriting my dna editing my genomic sequence with the word courage in the, nice. in, the in the double helix and i remember thinking like okay so that's the next step the next step is just to just stop being afraid of what's going to happen next and then um I did another journey at the end of that summer and I was asking, you know, when do I quit my job and learn to make instruments? And the medicine was very clear. It was like right away, like tomorrow, mm. bitch. So at that point, I I quit, I I put in my two weeks' notice and I signed up for woodworking school and I moved away from DC and down to the Asheville area within a month of mm. that experience and started woodworking school. So you know, starting woodworking school in the middle, the, the pandemic is still going on. It's like 2021. Everybody's still wearing masks. I'm, com- I'm completely convinced that COVID is fake, that masks are fake, that none of this is real. And I'm still using the drugs because I don't know how to stop feeling pain while i mm-hmm. um, doing very physical labor. But because I had these experiences of basically God asking me to step up and have a little bit more courage and to be a little bit, you know, dissociate from my constant worry and constant attempt to control my life, that made me think, actually, maybe my pain isn't the problem. Maybe being in pain is not actually a problem. Maybe my journey in this incarnation is to stay happy and to stay grateful and to stay devoted to god no matter how much my body hurts to just refuse to disconnect myself from the appreciation all around me because i am so blessed i have the best life i have the best friends i feel so joyful why would I disconnect myself from the opportunity to revel in that joy and that pleasure of being alive by reminding myself, I can't tie my shoes? I can't, I can't get up today because my back doesn't work. Like, I'm the one who's separating myself from the feeling of joy by being so fixated on everything that's wrong. And what if the experience of finding a cure for my arthritis is actually the big adventure that I've always wanted to go on. You know, I talked about how I wanted to, I really wanted to go to Peru or 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 somewhere, you know, somewhere that they don't have refrigeration for my drugs. That was what I kept having a disconnect about, right? Mm-hmm. That I really, I didn't want to be on the drugs because I wanted to travel. What if the experience of travel that I'm meant to have is the experience of exploring the world, looking for an alternative to drugs. What if that's the adventure of a lifetime? What if that's my my hero's journey? My knight's quest is just like all the things I could try to stop being addicted to drugs. I could try acupuncture. I could try energy healing, sound frequency healing. I could get into, you know, who the fuck knows? Like uh, There's a thousand, I could go to all the, I could go all around the world and get all sorts of different healing experiences from different healers in all sorts of traditions and everyone could bring me closer to the experience of of uh, releasing this pain that doesn't belong to me and isn't who I am and isn't my identity and that felt really good like it felt so freeing i felt i felt so i i felt so free i felt like yes yes my pain is not a limitation. It's the doorway to my expansion. It is the, it is the biggest growth opportunity. It's going to make me who I am. It's going to turn me into a shaman. It's going to make me become the person that helps others heal. Like what if I could give the gift of, of this joy to other people? By just by just releasing once and for all that I'm a diseased person who's broken and needs someone else to intervene for me? What if nobody needs to save me? What if everything is fine? You know? Wow. And so once that really landed, I knew I couldn't take the drugs anymore. And um, and I was looking forward to it. I was looking forward to, you know, accepting all the sensations that came with that. Like, what if I what if I develop such a high tolerance for the sensation of being in my own body that um, I don't experience pain as pain? I, I experience it as as a messenger or as a um, a guidepost, but I don't experience it as negative. I experience it. I experience it. I'm it embo- I'm embodied in it. I. I can name the color and the frequency and the texture of each of one of these sensations. If you ask me, you know, what is the feeling of arthritis? I could, I could sing you a song that is arthritis's song, but that isn't producing in me fear of the future, regret for the past or self-hatred. What if like, yeah, like what if like, that's the, uh, that's the expansion so I still had a couple injections left. I I actually still have probably a dozen injections in my fridge that I just still haven't thrown away because I don't know. I guess if something really horrible happens and I I get really bad symptoms again, I want to have the option to medicate them. I don't want to I don't want to harm myself again. I don't want to I don't want to like experience disability again. But what happened when I yeah. The last injection I took was in September of 20 today is um, October, 2023. So mm-hmm. I took my last injection of Humira in September of 2022. And there were months where the sensation was very high and I would find myself needing to take a lot more naps. I would take, and I've never, you know, I'm an insomniac. I've never been a person who could take a nap um, in the daytime. But I would lay down on the floor of the wood shop and take a nap right there behind my bench because the experience of pain that I was in was too too high sensation for me to be conscious for. And um, sweat a lot. I would do sauna and cold plunge, and I would eat a metric fuck ton of CBD CBD gummies, which honestly didn't interrupt the pain, but they definitely changed my state of mind and allowed me to feel. A higher degree of tolerance for the pain and sensation that I was experiencing. I did a lot of circling, which is a relational meditation practice where you come into presence with other people and basically, you know, take ownership of your experience and inquire about others' experiences. Um, I did a lot of hypnosis. I hypnotized myself every night and I would, you know, go into this state of hypnosis and repeat loving affirmations to myself about how perfect my body was and how capable it was of healing. I would start each day looking in the mirror at my naked body doing lymphatic drainage exercises with a dry brush over my naked body and saying to myself over and over again, thank you, body, for being the body that my soul chose to come into this incarnation and experience this perfect life. Thank you for the healing opportunities that you provide for me. Thank you for always having my back. Yeah, stuff like that.
1: Oh, and diet, did you? Oh, I fucked around yeah. with diet. Yeah. yeah.
0: I've tried every type of diet. I, I definitely like played around with Ayurvedic diets in the past, keto, ketogenic diets. Um, But in the past two years, when I like really started stretching out the medication doses, I went full carnivore for a while and only ate beef, Mm -hmm. beef, salt, water, and honey, and a little fruit. That did not last long because I love carbohydrates. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: I do love beef, but I don't, have the budget to eat like a ribeye every single meal every single day and I can't eat nothing but ground beef like it's just Mm -hmm. not realistic um so you have to
1: think of your quality of life as well right yes yes
0: so now I just eat whatever the fuck I want um I don't do I don't hypnotize myself anymore I don't have I don't say affirmations in the mirror I I still love that stuff I could do it from time to time But I don't rely on any kind of strict regimen or protocol anymore because I really just don't experience my pain in the same way. And I do Mm -hmm. get pain sometimes, but I certainly, it's not confined to my joints. It definitely feels musculoskeletal. It doesn't feel like arthritis. It's not, I do get swelling sometimes in, in joint places, but you know, I'm 36, like at this point, it's pretty logical that I would get joint swelling from here and there. Mm Mm-hmm. And I work at a physical job. So like if I wake up with swollen knees, like, uh, I don't know, could it be because I hauled
1: around half a fucking tree yesterday? Like maybe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, right. Wow. And then what, how have your beliefs changed? Do you still carry any illness identities as part of your, your beliefs about yourself?
0: I truly do not. I think that um, everything that comes up in my body to experience or heal is a message and all of the experiences of illness, whether they are colds, flus, rashes, unless it's like um, an injury or an insect bite or I, I brushed up against poison ivy, I see every illness that I encounter as psychic in origin. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that might sound crazy, but I just really see a connection between what's going on in my Life And the stories that I tell myself in my brain, and then what manifests in my body, pretty much as an as obvious and direct response to that. So for instance, one of the one, one of the things that somebody else could call arthritis would be something like I had this sensation in April, that I twisted my ankle. And I didn't twist my ankle. And I just had this very difficult pain in my right ankle. And it would last for a few days and I would even wear an ankle brace and then it would just go away, but then it would resurface like two months later, you know, for, for no discernible reason. And what I came up with at the time was that in April, when that first started manifesting was, you know, I don't have a clear idea of the way forward. I don't know what I'm doing with my career. After I graduate from woodworking school, I live in a state of fear about money and what, cho- what choice is the first choice to make. So if you put it in metaphorical terms, it would make sense that if I don't know where to step forward mm-hmm. next, if I don't know if my, if the choices I'm making, I can bear the weight of them, then of course my ankle would hurt. My right ankle, the, the part of my, you know, the left part of the brain is the um, analytical and decisive part. Um, that's that's always acting in a logical way, and that controls the right side of your body. So of course it would make sense that my right ankle would would be inflamed right now and would hurt. But it doesn't make sense that you know that right ankle inflammation is because of rheumatoid factor and C-reactive protein attacking mm-hmm. my my body attacking itself. Like that doesn't make sense. My body never attacks it myself. Myself. My body is so singularly focused on thriving. Mm-hmm. That everything it does is in service to my healing. And so the 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 pain itself, the ankle pain, is in service to the healing. The ankle pain says, hey, what are we doing when we graduate, bitch? Like, what yeah. are we doing? Like, you want to figure this out? Like maybe pay attention to, you know, what's next? Sure enough, like the ankle pain goes away. I get a job. I I provide for myself. Everything starts to mellow out and the ankle pain goes away
1: fascinating oh there's so much you know we're we're reaching time our time limit here and thank you so much for telling this story and it opens up many many uh topics that i'd love to discuss further in our podcast about um, belief and and absolutely like there and one thing that's coming up for me is the um I walk in a lot of worlds and I, I am trained as a Western medical provider. And I also, I'm not really allegiant to that belief system, even though I'm very proficient in, um, it's like, a, I'm very good at that second language, you know, like yes, I, yes. I understand that culture. I understand, I understand that. And if people believe that I'm I'm excellent at providing that paradigm to them. And I'm much more interested in what you're describing, which is what does the illness mean to the individual? And how is the gem of the root of that's at the root of that healing in that person's story and in, in mm-hmm. your understanding. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And anything else you'd like to share before we move to a, a word from our sponsor?
0: Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah. I mean, I really think that throughout this podcast, you and I will both have many opportunities to delve deeper into our healing journeys, because how could I possibly in one hour explain 10 years worth of healing? Because right. from the minute that I got diagnosed, I was trying to figure out how to release this and how to become a person that wasn't, you know, chronically ill. Um, so I guess so i guess there's nothing else that i need to add because uh i feel complete in this moment that the meandering story the somewhat rambling story that this has mm-hmm. been will um will continue to develop as we continue these conversations but yeah that was pretty much that was pretty much like the the long and the short of it 10 years of healing and uh from from five different autoimmune diseases and several different mental health disorders to feeling like the healthiest and most vital I've ever been, certainly the most yeah. creative and generative that I've ever been.
1: well, I want to to testify to the truth of of the story that you're telling because I want people to know that I have um very recently seen you um, play the banjo very skillfully with your healthy fingers. Yeah, I have, recently, relatively recently watched you learn to surf and, and run back to that, get pounded by the waves, like really, um, you know, joyfully experience that incredible physical intensity of learning how to surf. You are one of the most joyful, adaptable, fun people that, that I have ever hung out with. It's always a joy to, to be in community with you and to travel with you, that you are, um, easygoing. So I, I would not, um, view you as someone like, Oh, Jocelyn and all her mental illness. She's such, yeah, a, she's <laughs> bringing her mental turmoil to, to all of her interactions. So you're a legitimately joyful, adaptable, resilient person. Um, yeah. So thank you. absolutely you model healing. This is, um, it's more than the words you're saying. It's the mm. life you're living. And thank you for that.
0: Yeah. You know, I think, I think the thing that I, I'm, I try not to feel shame around the last 10 years of identifying with all these illnesses. Cause for a long time I did identify with them. Um, I, I try not to feel shame, but when it comes up, it's because I feel like I allowed myself to play the role of the victim and to expect others to feel pity for me and to take care of me because of the disabilities that i had and how i wasn't like other people and the way that my mentality separated me from other people when i identified as a victim it was so difficult for me to connect with others because i felt bitter i felt like they didn't understand me and they didn't they could never appreciate the struggle that i was going through they could never accommodate me enough and yes, yeah, so I was holding myself apart from love in so many ways by identifying as diseased. And I was really holding myself apart from my own power and my own sense of personal liberation. Because like the, for me, one of the biggest values that I have is feeling free and being free. and And we live in a free will universe, you know? And I was out here believing that because of what had happened to me, that I was less free than other people. And I wasted so much time acting less free than other people, acting hamstrung and, you know, bound by these rules. Like, well, I I can't do that. I can't do what you do because of my disease. So... I really love hearing those reflections because, you know, I see you as someone who also loves freedom and who doesn't have a victim mentality. And there's definitely been times when I felt insecure about around being uh, with people like you, because I thought, gosh, is she going to think that I'm like such a downer? Because I, I am so, I'm so like committed to being, being accommodated and I need, I need so much from others, you know, I need so much. uh... Anyway. I, I love hearing that. It makes me feel really good about myself.
1: Well, I, that you see I love me it. that. Way. <laughs> and, well, you are that way, and it's you you're a joy to be around. And mm. people need to know healing is possible. Yes. and that You are um, feeling more and more vibrant and yes. better and better. And um, you've you've freed yourself from the pharmaceutical industry as well, which we all know doesn't offer healing, it offers a lifetime of drug dependence for people. Exactly. Yes. And financial uh depletion. Yes, and lots of financial, true financial freedom, right? That you like you said, you're tied to a corporate job. So so the drugs yes. will be covered by your insurance. Yeah, you the loss of freedom that way. So mm-hmm. it's wonderful to hear your story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much, Mary Lou, for being such a good interviewer. <laughs> thank you. (laughs) Should we cut to a word from our sponsor? Oh yes, we
0: have to have a word from our sponsor. How would we, yeah, how would we sponsor this?
1: (laughs) Do you experience any or all of the following on an occasional or ongoing basis? Joint pain, headache, itching, acne, constipation, dry eyes, erectile dysfunction, bloating, heartburn, hunger, restless legs, and feelings of being too hot or too cold? If so, you may be suffering from embodiment. Experts agree that having a body is the number one cause of human suffering and death. Scholars have wondered since time immemorial as to what exactly is the point of somatic experiencing anyway. You've tried pornography, religion, overeating, alcohol, weekly shamanic journeying, ayahuasca, mushrooms, CBD, THC, Delta-8, amphetamines, antidepressants, and other forms of compulsive dissociation, and still your symptoms of embodiment return. Thankfully, science can now offer you permanent relief. Ask your doctor if uploading your consciousness into the internet is right for you. Say goodbye to embodiment and hello to the security and comfort of virtual reality. Side effects may include loss of the following, pleasure, curiosity, wonderment, appreciation, excitement, and everything that makes life meaningful. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Sign me up, baby. <laughs> well, I look forward to more and more episodes where we explore how we heal. I do too. I
0: um yes, I can't wait to share these journeys with our audience and also I look forward to inviting our listeners to be on our podcast and to be interviewed if you have a if you have a story of healing outside of the medical paradigm. Then we would love to talk to you. Absolutely. Right.
1: Until we meet again. Thank you. Have a good one. (laughs) Bye. Bye.